0: Hey there, leading mom. How are you? I have to admit that this might be one of the most relevant and timely episodes for me that I have recorded. You see, last night I learned about something that could significantly change our family's life. I'm not ready to share the details yet, but it has me wanting to crawl into a hole today instead of leading others. But more about that in a minute. First, let me introduce myself and moms that lead. Are you ready to jump off the hamster wheel and finally listen to that voice inside that says you were meant for more? Are you ready to replace overwhelm with calm and clarity, self-doubt with confidence, and mom guilt with connection? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Moms That Lead podcast, where we know that moms have a unique ability to be world changers, and that leadership is not about position. But instead, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more do more and become more then you are a leader i'm terry schmidt your host and leadership mentor determined to bring you the inspiration motivation and practical tips to help you live your best life i'm a corporate leader and coach turned nonprofit founder my family's journey to completing an ironman triathlon changed my life forever and i want to be your friend on the journey to gain the clarity confidence and connection that I gained from that experience. So if you're ready to ditch mom guilt and activate your strengths, let's jump in. So what are we talking about when we use the word resilient? The Center for Creative Leadership, or CCL, defines resilience as responding adaptively to challenges. So why is it important that we're resilient as leaders? Why does it matter that I don't crawl into that hole or my bed or even into the metaphorical hole of the numbing activity of scrolling through social media feeds? Well, because time is short. If you've experienced any loss in your life, you know this, and you know it deeply. And second, because each of us has a unique impact that we can have on those around us, an impact that we may not even know about. Your leadership can be like a pebble thrown into a calm lake. Spreading ripples that you're not even aware of. Recently, I was working on a post for Instagram, and I was really unmotivated. As with the sheer volume of posts on Instagram, I wondered if the thoughts that I was sharing even mattered. About a week later, I received a message from someone thanking me for that post, saying how meaningful it was, and that they had printed it out and had it hanging in their office. I was quite taken aback. I mean, I didn't even want to do that post and I almost shut out of it several times. So, like I said, you likely have no idea how impactful the leadership actions that you take with your coworkers, community volunteers, or your family are. If that's not reason enough. Third, according to General Stanley McChrystal, one of the most important jobs of a leader is to instill hope for the future, to, as he said, craft a visceral sense of the possible. That's a big, important, and particularly necessary in our current times task that no one can do in the way that you can. So how do we do it? How do we face all the challenges around us and respond with resilience? And perhaps more importantly, how do we create teams that are able to do the same? Well, we talked a bit about resilience way back in episode 26. But in light of us focusing on how we can become healthy leaders, I thought it was worth revisiting. The first step toward becoming a resilient leader and helping to build resilient teams is to acknowledge. Or as resilience expert Lucy Hone said, recognize that suffering is part of life. As I mentioned in episode 26, This acknowledge step is probably the most difficult. It's the one that we'd often prefer to skip over. Let's not focus any time looking at the problem. Let's just get on with fixing it. But like I said, acknowledging is the most important step in the process. It's allowing ourselves and our teams to go through the stages of grief, no matter how small or big the losses or challenges that we're dealing with are. Yes, even what we may view as small losses require acknowledgement, require us to look at the challenge, to name it, and to talk about it. As I shared in episode 26, I remember earlier having this lesson hit me really hard. It was early in the pandemic when everything had shut down. To be honest, I was getting a little annoyed with my kids complaining about not being able to go to their activities or see their friends. How could they be so inconsiderate when people were dying? Why were they complaining all the time about their small losses? But then I was listening to David Kessler, a grief expert, on Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast, and he said, the biggest loss is your loss. And they went on to discuss how, for many kids, these losses of activities might be the biggest losses that they've ever experienced, and how important it was to acknowledge them, and resist the urge to compare them to other losses if we wanted our kids to be able to move through them in a healthy way. As I said last time, I kind of felt like there goes my parent of the year award. Yes, acknowledging loss and sitting with it stinks and can be painful. But it really is the only way for us to move forward in a healthy way. So what does that acknowledging look like? Again, for a team who's maybe had to do layoffs or has had exciting projects canceled, as a leader, maybe acknowledging can just be pulling everyone together or talking with them individually or in smaller groups to give them space to express their sadness and frustration. You might even kick it off by acknowledging that you know how hard this time has been and naming some of the losses yourself. So if acknowledging is the first step, what do we do after we've been through that painful process? Well, the second step is to connect. And I would encourage you to do this as soon as possible. Find someone to talk to or someone else to help. It may seem counterintuitive, but I know from experience that reaching out to help someone else, even when you're feeling like you need the help yourself, works. Now, a side note, I have to say for me, this is probably the most tempting step to skip. Because as an introvert, I'd rather kind of think through my problems by myself, think through the challenges that I'm facing by myself, get it all figured out, and then go out into the world. But I remember a really distinct experience when I was in college. I was feeling really down, and to be honest, I can't even remember what I was feeling down about, but I had spent a whole afternoon just trying to figure it out, trying to kind of get my emotions under control, trying to get through whatever challenge I was facing. But I was still really down. All of a sudden, I got a message that my roommate was in the emergency room. She had had an accident and had a significant injury to her knee. She was able to come home that night, and through the experience of being able to help her manage through the hard time of getting her knee healed and taken care of, all of a sudden, the emotions that I had about the challenges I was facing seemed to kind of fade away. It's an experience that still is very vivid for me, and I often think about it when I am going through a hard time to try to urge myself to get out there and help someone else. You'll remember, if you listened to last episode, that we talked about how this helping others, whether that be a friend, a family member, or getting out and volunteering, helps us because it is playing into the tend and befriend response to stress that Kelly McGonigal talks about in her book, The Upside of Stress. Little did I know that that was what I was experiencing when I was in college. But if you remember, McGonagall discusses how this tend and befriend response actually activates three systems in your brain. She discusses the three systems in this way. She says that as a natural response to stress, we find an impulse to connect. That's the tend and befriend response. And when we do it, it activates three systems in our brain, the social caregiving system, that activates when oxytocin levels rise and we feel more empathy, connection, and trust. This brain system, when activated, not only helps us to feel more connected and feel more empathy, but it also inhibits the fear centers in our brain, which I just think is incredible. Because when we're faced with challenges, fear is often what takes over. And fear also makes us act in ways toward others that maybe we don't want to act. So I think this social caregiving system is just incredible. The second system that she talks about that's triggered by this tend and befriend response is the reward system that releases dopamine. This also reduces fear and increases motivation. And it helps us feel optimistic about our ability to do something meaningful and primes our brain for physical action so we don't freeze under pressure. And finally, the attunement system that's driven by serotonin When this is activated, it enhances our perception, our intuition, and our self-control. So if you didn't believe me that trying to find a way to connect with others and help others when you are feeling stressed or dealing with a challenge, hopefully that gives you a sense of why it is so important that you do take that step. But if you need one more reason, the other reason for connecting is that you never know what others are going through. I was listening to another podcast, the Successful Athletes podcast put on by Trainer Road. And one of their athletes, Amber Pierce, was talking about how she was dealing with many mental health challenges, but she never talked to her teammates about them until she actually had a crisis. And after that, after her mental health challenges became common knowledge among everyone, other athletes on her team came and talked to her about the challenges that they had been experiencing. Amber mentions how it was actually kind of sad because if they had been open about them earlier, if they had connected with each other earlier, they could have helped each other. But because they felt like they were the only ones that were going through anything, they were not able to experience those benefits of connecting. So connecting with others, finding someone to talk to, or going out and helping someone else really is a critical step to becoming a resilient leader. But not only does connection help you as an individual leader, but as a Harvard Business Review article about resilient teams talks about, compassion, empathy, and humility are key markers of resilient teams. Team members on those teams feel comfortable being vulnerable and connecting with each other, especially during difficult times. So the more you can set up guidelines and experiences and build a culture that helps your team to be a safe and accepting place for all, the better your team will perform when your team or your organization is faced with challenging times. Okay, so acknowledge and connect are the first two steps. The final step is the one that we'd probably all love to jump to right away, and that is act. We talked about how helping others can release dopamine and serotonin, that will help you to be brave and enhance your perception and intuition. And that just happens to set you up perfectly for acting. It turns out that when we're in the middle of a difficult or stressful situation, identifying and focusing on what we can control and acting on that can be incredibly helpful. One of my dad's favorite (laughs) prayers, the serenity prayer is perfect here. If you're not familiar with that, it goes like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So when you do know what you can act on, focus on small things that you can do as a leader or as a team. Research shows that when we feel like we have some control in a situation, the negative impacts of stress on us are reduced. So what am I talking about? What are some ideas for small steps? Well, maybe it's as simple as listing out what you do know if you're in the middle of a particularly ambiguous situation. Maybe it's about planning different potential courses of action based on how things go. If A happens, then we go to plan one. If B happens, then we go to plan two. Or as we talked about in episode 26 and many episodes since, Maybe a small step is spending some time revisiting your personal or your team's purpose, including your values, so that you can remind yourself of what should guide any future action that you take that helps to ground you and your team. Maybe it's about taking action that will help you to stay healthy, like getting enough sleep. And I know from personal experience, just even in the last night, This may mean that you need to move your bedtime a little bit earlier because sleep sometimes can get interrupted, especially when you get stuck thinking about or worrying about the situations that you're in. So if you have the opportunity to move your bedtime earlier, you may want to try doing that. So you do get enough sleep so that you can function well and make good decisions the next day. Other actions that can help you to stay healthy. Gratitude. We talked in episode 26 about even if you have lost something, think about the good things and how you can help them to live on even though you experience that loss. Movement. As we talked about last episode, in The Joy of Movement, Kelly McGonigal talks about how exercise at a continuous moderate intensity can actually release endocannabinoids, which help reduce anxiety and help you feel more content. Not only that, they can also increase our old friend dopamine, just like how helping others can. And as we talked about, that helps you to feel more optimistic. And who wouldn't want to feel more optimistic in a difficult situation, especially when, as we talked about, one of the key roles of a leader is to inspire hope for the future. And finally, as we talked about in episode 26, find actions that you know will lift you up. Maybe that's listening to an uplifting podcast, or your favorite music, or calling a friend who you know has just the personality you need at that moment. Like rocks in a swamp of uncertainty, these small actions that lift you up will help you to move forward. And as a team, you can do the same thing. Identify what you can control and take action by being resourceful, engaging in activities that keep you healthy and that boost morale. And finally, as resilience expert Lucy Hone said in her TEDx talk, ask yourself the question, is what I'm doing right now helping or harming me? I asked myself that a lot in the most recent hours because I know that social media scrolling, complete with diving into the comments, actually harms me. And it probably harms those around me as the stress of the change our family is going through was compounded by my irritation and sadness about how nasty people can be to each other on social media. So if you remember nothing else, remembering to ask yourself that question, is this action that I'm doing right now helping or harming me? And then acting accordingly will help you to be a more resilient leader. We've got some great interviews lined up to continue on this theme of what it takes to be a healthy leader. I look forward to talking to you again next week, but until then, I'm going to go continue working on putting the steps of acknowledge, connect, and act into practice. I wish you a week full of meaning-filled days. And as always, until next time, lead with love.